Howdy. Welcome to another week of Cannon Calls. This week, I had the pleasure and the honor of talking with poet Billy Collins. Mr. Collins was our nation's poet laureate from 2001 to 2003. He's written a bundle of books that can be found on Amazon, including a new book, Whale Day, set to release in September that you can pre-order. In our day, a love of poetry is rare. And even more difficult is finding folks who are passionate about it that are able to ignite or pass on that love to others. I love poetry, so I thought we could do a recurring series on the podcast about poetry with Poets Alive or with the biographers of dead poets. So if after hearing this, you're convicted to the bone that God loves poetry and you don't, and you ought to repent and fix that, I'd recommend grabbing a Billy Collins book and a book on the Canon store called Roar on the Other Side by Suzanne Rhodes. For all its storied past and lofty reputation, poetry is really just the art of noticing, naming, and comparing the stuff of the world. Unlike the eye of modern science, which sees the world as a giant specimen for us to dissect, Poetry fosters and nurtures life by finding wonder in the nooks and crannies of ordinary life. Suzanne Rhodes, a longtime poet and teacher, offers the roar on the other side as an introductory guide to poetry. Focusing on the importance of sight and the necessity of practice, Rhodes easily communicates the joy of words to her readers and helps them see how good poetry binds all seemingly contradictory things together. You can get that at Canon Press. Dot com, and without further ado, meet the great Billy Collins. Good man. Okay. All righty. Now welcoming on former poet laureate, Mr. Billy Collins. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh, you're welcome, Jake. Good morning. Good morning. Um, as I mentioned to you before, I've been trying to think of a way to pass on a love of poetry, and I thought, uh, what better way than to maybe introduce folks to a few poets? And so you came up as a poet who I could introduce, as well as uh, someone who's thought through the idea of passing on a love for poetry through the 180 program um, that you started in 2001? Uh, 2001, I think, yeah. Okay. So when I was when I was poet laureate. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Can you introduce can Thank can you. you introduce us to yourself? Well, uh I'm Billy Collins. I'm an American poet and uh, uh I think what we wanted to talk about is something that happened when I was poet laureate. Uh, that was back in 2001 to 2003 and um the American Poet Laureate doesn't really have uh, a, a big job description, it's, um, which is the kind of job I like. <laughs> but um, my predecessors um, have had initiated different programs to popularize poetry. Um, one, one was an emphasis on ecological poetry. Uh, everyone had a, a kind of an angle. And um, the first thing I wanted to I wanted to get my own program going. So the first thing I thought about was remembering when I was in not so much uh, well in high school, and uh, poetry was very unpopular. And one reason was back when I was in high school, quite a while ago, we were we we were reading generally poets that were um, all male, 
all dead, and most of them had three names and beards. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't quite relate to them, but um, I thought it would be great if if high school students were exposed to poetry now, contemporary poetry, and to hear what it sounds like. And most high school teachers, I mean, um, they're the salt of the earth, but many of them don't have time. But they're beleaguered by administration, students, parents, and the pressures of their lives. They don't have time to, even if they're English teachers, to like keep up with contemporary poetry. So I put together 180 poems by different poets, by about 165 different ones. There are a few repeaters in there. And we started as a, um, uh, an attachment to the Library of Congress website. The Poet Laureate is, in fact, an employee of the Library of Congress. And um, your boss is the Librarian of Congress. Nothing to do with the White House or the administration. So I found these poems. It took a while, but I, I wanted them to be um, not simple, but poems you could get on the first bounce. You know, you didn't have to kind of go back and puzzle over the poem to get it. So these were clear, interesting, some funny, but all poems that delivered their uh, payload of emotion and and truth on uh, and kind of immediately. And uh, that turned into uh, my my publisher, Random House, said, "Well, let's let's turn that into a book." So we did a a paperback of that, and then they that sold very well. So it, we did a second one called "180 More." So altogether, I think I picked out about 500 poems. And I know I'm going on about this, but one more point is that um, I, I always think that it's better to teach poetry chronologically backwards. In other words, start with today's poetry to see how it sounds and then kind of work backwards into more historically remote and often more difficult poetry. So that was the idea to read, have, have a poem read every day and um, no analysis, no quiz or test about it, no discussion, really. Just hear a poem and then go on to your next class. And that's been very popular in high schools. So you'd rather not start with Chaucer, maybe? Chaucer's the worst place to start. <laughs> I mean, it, because, I mean, a student looking at it says, well, this is in English for one thing. Right. Um yeah, that's you've got it. You hit the nail there because uh, in, a, in a serious survey course, that's where you do start with Chaucer. And I would start with um, Billy Collins, for example, and then <laughs> work work your way eventually back to Chaucer. But um, so that that was the idea, and I think one of the reasons poetry is not um, um, part of a lot of people's lives is that they associate it with school, and when we Kind of a, the place we're first exposed to poetry in a serious way, uh, where we're kind of responsible for what we're reading, is in, in school. And I think when people graduate from high school or go on and graduate from college, they leave poetry behind along with trigonometry and basic chemistry, right? It's, it's, it becomes a school subject, and they're done with it. They don't need it in their life. There's another, the, the kind of reader I'm trying to, 180 was trying to, uh, trying to form is a reader that leaves, leaves, leaves schooling with, with a love for poetry and doesn't see poetry as just a school subject, but it can be a part of everyday life. That's good. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What, what was it about, how, how did you get into poetry? Did you have to be won over? 
Well, I started as an adolescent. That's where most of it, most most poetry starts there. And someone said that at birth, we uh, we come into the world uh, with about 200 bad poems in us. And um, high school is a great place to get rid of some of those. Sure. And uh, and I think we all start by writing pretty bad poetry. Either we just go off and and write without being influenced and or we're overly influenced by poets and we turn out third rate versions of their work but eventually if you keep writing you will kind of dig down and maybe find something uh maybe underneath that uh all that bad writing you might say is actually good in that it's leading to the discovery of of um, of of your own poetry and i guess i got into it I thought poetry was cool when I was in high school. I don't know. I thought, um, I think I remember seeing a picture of Edgar Allan Poe in my, my notebook, and I thought, boy, oh, he's still a cool-looking guy. <laughs> I wonder if there are more guys like him. Um, <laughs> he doesn't look like my parents or any of their friends. <laughs> so, um, also, you know, when you're an adolescent, you're, you're, you have, you know, self-consciousness, and you, you're aware of being alone. Uh, you often, you know, go off by yourself. I was an only child, so that's a great preparation for being a poet. You spend a lot of time by yourself um, and your imagination. Um, anyway, I started then, and I, I really didn't get a book published till I was over 40. I was, I was really kind of imitating a lot of poets, but I didn't find my own voice until I was in my 30s. And then the book came when I was in my 40s. And, um, but ever since then, I've been on a pretty wild poetry ride. <laughs> I've heard you say that, um, that you didn't write any good poetry until about your mid-30s. And one of the reasons was right. that you dared to be clear. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, I, I was, um, I mean, there, just, there's a lot of difficult poetry that's necessary. Um, because it's it's sort of on the cutting edge of poetry, and all art needs an avant-garde or a cutting edge uh, if it's going to advance and stay stay uh, alive. But um, I think there's also a kind of difficult poetry that's really just a camouflage for um, I don't know what. It's 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 unclear because there's nothing really behind it. And if you if you write clearly. Uh, and I don't mean in a simple-minded way, but if you're just hospitable to uh, the reader, um, you're out in the open. You can be, you know, <laughs> everyone can see what you're doing because you're being out, you're being upfront about it. You're being straightforward. And then uh, it was it was such a relief to be able to write clearly and also to to read poets who were who were humorous without being silly. You know, who were um, who were comic with serious intent, and that was a big release for me because I was, I was, always had funny friends, and I was, I think I was pretty funny as a kid, and uh, but I was hiding all that because I didn't think you were allowed to be funny in poetry, and I was absolutely correct. You actually weren't back then, <laughs> but uh, but now um, Chaucer's funny. Remember Chaucer's pretty funny, and we've. Uh, I think poetry has reclaimed uh, humor as a legitimate um, way of operating. Yeah, I've heard you talk about sort of the element of humor just in the history of poetry um, and then relating it to yourself. And and humor was one of the things that really kicked your poems into a new gear. Uh, When did we sort of lose that humor? 
we lost that in in uh, seventeen ninety eight, right around <laughs> in there. Okay. With the English Romantic poets, and I've said this before, but it was like Wordsworth and Coleridge and the uh, the major Romantics went into a, a back room and made some kind of a deal. They pulled the blinds down, and the deal was that they were going to get rid of sex and humor and sub- substitute landscape. Got it. Which sounds like a really bad deal uh, right. to me, anyway. <laughs> I actually wrote a dissertation, and I love the uh, on the Romantic poets, and I love them. Um, but po- poetry remained pretty humorless until really into the 1950s, where you get people like Philip Larkin, and you get the New York poets like Ron Padgett and Kenneth Koch, and people who were ex- super smart, but 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 were playful at the same time. One thing that was very striking but seem to make a ton of sense of your work is that you said one of your major influences was Warner Brothers cartoons. Can you talk about that? Well, there's Ford and Chevy. Uh, there are two kinds of people are American League and National League. Um, you know, in cartoons, there's either Warner Brothers, which is Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, or um, Disney. And I was always a Looney Tunes guy because the, the Disney the Disney characters, well, first of all, they're all married, right? I mean, Donald and da- Daisy and Mickey and Minnie. I mean, they're totally, you know, squares. They're settled down middle-class, middle-class ducks and mice. Right. And, um, and although there's, there's also the D- Donald's nephews, I'm not sure where the, where the, bro- the sister or the brother is that creates these nephews that aren't really their children. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you, <clears throat> But but the the wild the wild the really uh, screwballs the really wild people are you know Daffy Duck is I mean you can't imagine him married you can't imagine <laughs> Mrs Daffy Duck you know or or Mrs Bugs Bunny I mean they're they're mavericks and the only uh, well well uh, uh, Porky Pig does have Petunia but uh, Bugs and Daffy who kind of run the show um and bugs loves cross-dressing he kind of he has he's sort of his own wife in a way sort of the original Uh, (laughs) he's the original yeah and uh what's up doc is one of the great icebreakers you know (laughs) so uh it was uh so it was the wildness of it and the plasticity of it i mean you could um you didn't need any uh clothes on to like you could just pull a lawnmower out of your non-existent pants and uh and uh, you could, um, you know, get flattened by a steamroller and then bounce back into shape. So all that, um, I guess, the, the fact that the laws of gravity and other physical laws are, were suspended um, was very appealing to my young imagination. I love it. I imagine for folks who are not into poetry, that would hopefully come as a welcome surprise. Have uh, you, when as you've uh, been a professional poet, do you feel like the poet has a, uh, in relation to novelists or short story tellers or animators, um, you sort of have the, you brought the gal to the party that you kind of have to convince folks to like? Well, I, I think most of the people who come to poetry readings are, are ready for it. Uh, often um, husbands will be dragged along usually by wives and you can <laughs> you, you can spot you can spot them in the audience very quickly but um well you can win them over by being clear and by being funny uh, i read you know i try to uh, adjust the um the, the emotional mood of a reading by reading 
mixing funny poems with more serious poems. Mm. So, um, you know, poetry is very, uh, um, it's easy to perform. It's easily performative, I guess you'd say, rather than listening to a short story or, or, or um, God forbid, a novel. So, if, I mean, I've been to readings, uh, fiction readings, where, uh, you know, the person gets up and reads a, like a 25-page short story. I always get lost right away. I don't know <laughs> if uh, if Dorothy is the wife or the dead person, you know. Um, and once you once you get lost like that, you just get more lost. But a poem can be read in thirty seconds, forty five seconds, a, a minute tops. Really, I mean, my my longest poem could probably be read in a minute and a half. And they and they they come along one at a time, and you, you always get a new poem every every few minutes. So. Um, I think they lend themselves very easily to uh, performance, uh, especially uh, compared to uh, fiction. Now, you've mentioned you would like to do a reading uh, for us. Before I ask you to do that, uh, one thing that I think folks who are not familiar with poetry or your work, maybe one of the more interesting pieces of bait that we could put on the hook is that Bill Murray is actually a big fan of yours. Well, I I know Bill because uh, my wife, my then wife, uh, used to work in television. She worked, I think it was a Chevy Chase special or something that she worked on. She met Bill and he became a friend. And I, um, but I, I'm um, a, a closer friend of mine is Brian Doyle Murray, uh, who wrote Caddyshack. And, oh wow! You know, was was in Groundhog Day and all, all sorts of stuff, and even played Jack Ruby in the Kennedy. Um, movie, but Brian, Brian, and I uh, hang around quite a bit together. Now everybody has one, but what is your favorite Bill Murray story? Um, well, uh, I like. Well, my favorite Bill my comment about Bill Murray. I don't know about incidents because he's such a he's such a he's he is like Daffy Duck. He's unpredictable and wild. And um, but uh, there was a roast uh, of Bill and. As someone said was talking about how uh, how recognizable he is, how famous he is, and you know if you see Bill Murray at a cafe or something, it's kind of made your day. You know, I saw Bill Murray, and the guy said, um, you know, if um, if Bill Murray pushed somebody off the George Washington Bridge on the way down, the guy would look up up and say, "Hey, Bill Murray." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Fantastic. Famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, We're about to the close here. Do you mind giving us a poem? Sure, Jake. I don't have the Whale Day manuscript right here, but I'm going to read a poem from a a book called Aimless Love. Okay, perfect. It's a poem called Fool Me Good. Fool Me Good. I am under the covers waiting for the heat to come up with a gurgle and hiss and the banging of the water hammer that will frighten the cold out of the room. And I am listening to a blues singer named Precious Bryant singing a song called Fool Me Good. If you don't love me, baby, she sings, would you please try to fool me good? And I am stroking the dog's head and writing down these words, which means that I am flying calmly in the face of the Buddhist advice to do only one thing at a time. Just pour the tea. Just look into the eye of the flower. Just sing the song, one thing at a time. 
and you will achieve serenity, which is what I would love to do as the fan blades of the morning begin to turn. If you don't love me, baby, she sings, as a day moon fades in the window and the hands circle the clock, would you please try to fool me good? Yes, precious, I reply, I will fool you as good as I can. But first, I have to listen, I have to learn to listen to you with my whole heart, and not until you have finished will I put on my slippers, squeeze out some toothpaste, and make a big foamy face in the mirror, freshly dedicated to doing one thing at a time, one note at a time for you, darling, precious, one tooth at a time for me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, Thank you Jay. so much, Mr. Collins. Your new book, Whale Day, comes out in September. Folks can go grab a plethora of other books of yours from Amazon, like Aimless Love that you that you just read from. Mr. Collins, thank you again so much for being generous with your time. Great. Well, it was fun talking to you, and good luck to you. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>